Hi, everyone. Welcome to Frontier Faith, a podcast where it's okay not to know, not to know what you believe, why you believe it. It's okay just to be exploring. That's what it is to be on the frontier, is to explore and uh, to move forward. We're doing that together. We are moving forward together. You have two Frontiers people here with you. My name is Nathan Whitaker. And I'm Ryan Harris. And we are going to be continuing our project uh, that we've been doing on this uh, season of this podcast. It's a project of discovering what it would look like to have a frontier community. And, you know, we're going to get to the practical implications of what this is, or at least think it through together. But for today, I just want to quickly say that you know, we might be using the words church and community and so on and so forth. We, we don't know what it really looks like just yet. Does it look like creating a church somewhere in the middle of a city and, and playing that out? Maybe. Does it look like a community across the United States that uh, spans denominations and uh, heritages? Yeah, probably that's part of it too. Um, we just don't know yet. So we're using those words, church and community, just to kind of give us a concrete way to talk more than a concrete direction that we're going with this. Uh, This whole season, uh, it may develop into something concrete as we move along, but at least the beginning of this season and where we are currently is just thinking it out loud, just asking ourselves and inviting you for that conversation of what this would look like if we were to have a community, a church, or something else focused around being on the frontier. Yes, and we reserve the right to entirely change our minds. Yeah, one of the things that bugged me a lot when I, my my doctor father, he still says it, um, when I would ask him, well, you said this, and he would look at me and he'd say, did I? <laughs> well, I guess I changed my mind. Yeah, Nate and I had the same do- uh, do- doctoral advisor, so I remember that very well. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and of course, he doesn't do it where it matters, which is great because I don't want him changing my my proposal and my dissertation every step of the way. But when it comes to how he's processing things, you know, we we reserve the right to say, "Did we say that?" Well, I guess we changed our mind. <laughs> yeah, and if you don't like it, then I don't care. Yeah, stop paying us so much money. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You can <laughs> send us a complaint, and I will put it in the round file. <laughs> Uh, We have talked so far in this project, we've talked about our uh, two commitments. And the two commitments on the frontier are, we believe, very biblical and scriptural. They're just not ones that we see fully lived out in the church and kind of capture why we're on the frontier. Uh, That is the commitment to difference and the commitment to unity. And we've talked in the last couple podcasts about how those are two sides of the same coin, right? You can't have difference without unity. You can't have unity without difference. And uh, boy, there's a lot to go into that. So you can listen to our past two podcasts on that to explore some more. But with those commitments in in mind, we want to start talking about what are some goals that we have? What, What do we want this community that is committed to difference and unity what does that really, uh, what are we really chasing? What are we really pursuing? What are we really working on as both a community and individuals? 
Yeah. And so today we're going to unpack that. Yeah, and since we are, you know, in the conceptual stage here, really, honestly, this is the pie in the sky, throw things at the wall, see what sticks. Like, we're, we're not at the point where you got to say, yeah, but in the real world, it's like, no, okay, <laughs> right <laughs> now, it's just like, we want to say what we hope something like this would be like, you know, a, a goal that we have or something that we've never experienced and would like to and, you know, some of it may sound pretty radical or uh, very, very different than what we've done before. But Nate and I were talking about this before we started. And honestly, I think if I don't know if I want to say it that way, but I think if Christianity um, is going to endure in America in a way that actually matters, I think we're at the point where we're past the point where tweaks and slight adjustments to how we've done things in the past are going to work. I think, you know, we've missed that by, I don't know, 100 years. I don't know, whatever it is. But, um, you know, we've we've been through that. We've done different music. We've changed to be, quote, seeker friendly, whatever it is. And none of those things fix the problems because they're not the problem. Yeah, so, we're, we're not painting the bathroom. We've got to do a remodel. Right. Because, I mean, yeah, it's like those things don't matter, although... Yeah, I guess I would say those things don't really matter in terms of what we're talking about. So um, we're just going to see where this goes. And these are things we'd like to see. And, you know, maybe going forward, we can we're trying to figure out how we can see them. But right now we're just saying, what is it that we are looking for? What is it that we would ask to have if there were no limitations on it? Because at this point, there aren't. Yeah, yeah. So we want to start with really forgive us. We do this. We're academics. So we got to start with a definition. Uh, we have talked about how we're a community committed to difference and unity, and yet we haven't quite defined what it means to be a community. And I think that would be a very good first thing that we want is what does it really look like to be a community? Don't you think? Yeah, that seems like a logical place to start. So where are you with that? What do you think it means to be a community on the frontier? Well, I guess you could start from any number of places, but I think the one that is a good place to start for me is I would like to see a community that um, is welcoming, but not in the sense that we've always done that before, you know, like I said earlier. And what I mean is it'd be great to have a community of faith whatever that looks like, that welcomed everyone with no asterisks. You know, I I, uh, I stole that from the, the church I go to currently. They just, they have even have t-shirts that say no asterisks on there. And, you know, oh, awesome. yeah, I, I really, now does it always work perfectly? Well, probably not because people are people, but I like that commitment and that goal because, you know, as growing up as someone in the, well, growing up as gay in the conservative church, I've been, I've been that asterisk very for a long time in a lot of different ways, but it, you know, it's not just gay people. It's, you know, gay people, trans people, uh, women, um, you know, anyone that is not part of the majority in some way, anyone that has felt marginalized by Christians or been oppressed by Christians, um, or, you know, we've just overlooked it may not have been a, an active marginalization. It might have been a more passive marginalization as, you know, in the sense that we just overlooked some segment or group of people. And I think for the kind of community we're hoping for, 
if we want one that is actually very different, radically different from what we've always had, I think we need to figure out a way to be welcoming in that sense. Um, like, you know, we really need to mean it and we need to be willing to figure out how to do that, even if it makes us shatter some paradigms we've always held or do things that we're uncomfortable with or change some doctrine or whatever it might be because mm -hmm. the way we've done it so far just doesn't cut it. So just so that I'm clear in those that are listening, I'm pretty sure this is obvious question, but I still want to ask it. Does the asterisk mean accept? So like we welcome you except if you're gay, except if you're yeah. trans. Right. Okay. Cause that's been the experience that I've had in that, in the conservative world, you know, um, the church, I kind of churches I grew up in and, uh, yeah, it's no more except it's like, you can't say that we believe in hospitality <laughs> if you won't let some people in, if you won't, you know, you can't say that you are welcoming if you, um, if you're, you know, if kids say, yeah, anybody can play this game, but not you. Cause we don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> right or yeah. or you can't catch the ball so we don't want you on the team now there's uh there's my childhood in a phrase but <laughs> you know, like that kind of idea like yeah no no more except so i i suspect one of the challenges to this i want to first like aim it at other people and then aim it at a community that we might be a part of um for the longest time in the church uh, the, the language that we use at my congregation is that we have fancied ourselves as a country club. And so there's like this country club feeling where, you know, racial overtones thoroughly in, implied. Um, but we're racial, we're, we're a racial club, we're a country club that well, we uh, are sometimes. Yeah, we are. Yeah. But the country club is just that, you know, if you pay your dues, uh, which are always social and economic capital, right? You pay your dues, then you are part of this thing that has the veneer of being a community, but is really an interplay of power systems and structures and so on and so forth, where certain people, if you're in the inside circle, then you feel like this is my family. But if you're everybody else, you don't. And a lot of congregations have that playing out uh, to varying degrees, whether some explicitly, but those don't last very long, uh, and then some very minutely. Um, have you experienced that growing up? The idea of church being more like a Jesus club than a church? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, I think so. I think that... I think that some of the churches I've been in have certainly tried to change that. And, you know, I think in some respects have succeeded, but not entirely. You know, I think there's still very much this, uh, maybe it comes back to the whole, you know, it, it, in, it involves like the culture war kind of stuff because, you know, we know what's right. And, and so those people who don't are on the outside kind of thing. And, yeah. you know, it, so much of our identity becomes wrapped up in this club we belong to, which, you know, can, that can happen with, you know, that's like in other things too. Like if someone, you know, every once in a while you meet someone who's a Freemason and they're really into it or, yeah, you know, uh, I don't know, part of some, uh, 
uh, well, political parties. Sure. Yeah. Gosh, there you go. Right. And so I, I think in a lot of ways, the churches I've been at have been like that. Although, like I said, more recently, I've been seeing less, or, or at least I should say, I've been seeing churches who are trying to um, change that. Oh, but really? Yeah. That's interesting. Cause my experience is that no church, a lot of my, the churches that I know they're doubling down. Yeah. Well, I mean, the one I was at previously, um, was certainly trying this in some respects, but if I'm being honest, there were some asterisks, right? I eat yeah. me <laughs> and others. Um, and the one I'm at now, I, it's hard to say because I've only been there two years, two and a half. And now it's been hard to be real involved because the world went to hell. Yeah. Um, so I, in terms of what they do and what they say, it seems like they're trying, but I suspect there is the, there are these in groups and such that you describe in there that I just don't know about because I'm not in a place to really know, you know? Yeah. But. So I defined it kind of like the hurdle would be an us versus them. Uh, that'd be a hurdle we have to overcome that we see things very much in terms of uh, dualities or mm. polarities or whatever it is. And, you know, as I always say, of course, you always think you're on the right side of a duality. Well, Why would you think otherwise? Everybody's the protagonist of their own narrative. Yeah. <laughs> so churches who th see the world versus and two spheres of influence, they're always going to be in the right sphere. Uh, mm. But that's how I interpret it as community needs to look at things outside or let's say beyond that lens of us versus them. And that's where I would say, you know, uh, it's a very human thing to do that us versus them because there's some goodness in that in terms of like, I feel included. And so I want to protect that. And there you go. You get an us versus them as time goes on. But that might not be yeah. what you were thinking. Well, I mean, I, I think that too, um, as you were talking and, and like, as we've been talking about this, one of the things that comes to my mind is like, for this kind of community to exist, Christians need to stop thinking that they're better than people who aren't Christians. Um, Cause I mean, even the most well-intentioned Christians often like, yeah, but if they only knew Jesus or we got to get them saved because they're somehow deficient w without it or, or however you want to describe that is like, yes, there is something unique about Jesus. And I think that Jesus does amazing things for people in, in their lives. But in terms of value as people, there is no difference between me and anybody else, you know, um, at least in terms of how God sees people. And I mean, nobody would say that, right? I don't think most people conceive of it in that way. But I no. think what I've seen is like, not just we have the truth, but we are the goal of society. We are the... Um, and we hold the truth and all that kind of stuff is, I think, another way of saying we're really the best around, um, which kind of goes along with that that club thing, too, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I did a series that this is nowhere novel. I've heard this and seen this before and after I preached it, but it was this uh, reversal, the great reversal that we need to make. And we typically think of things as... Uh, people have to believe first, they have to behave the right way, and then they can belong. Whereas, you know, I think you're speaking into a community, and I would very much agree where what actually comes first is the belonging. Right. Uh, and then we can, we can sort out what the believe and behave mean. Right. Uh, but the belonging is first, and 
as we do that, of course, we behave as a community, not, you know, morality, because, you know, I could go on. Well, to we see where that, that has gotten us. Yeah. Uh, but we behave as a community and we believe in the one who brings us together as a community. And we figure all that out as we go. But belonging has to happen first. Right. Yeah, I mean, I hate to hate to break it to us all, but it turns out we're not just inherently better just because we've gone to church our whole lives. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. it just isn't the case. So I guess my question is, is uh, so that's a goal very clearly stated. Uh, we, we're not really doing this too much because we could spend a long time talking about each one of these. But how do you see that happening? Right. We, we can talk a lot about how uh, we haven't seen that and how we want that. And I think that's really good. We need to do that. But how do you see that actually happening? How can we move beyond an us versus them? How can we focus on belonging before belief and behaving, especially because we don't have that <laughs> in our uh, cultural DNA as Christians in America? Right. Well, I mean... The first answer is, I don't know. <laughs> the second answer, you know, in terms of just kind of talking about that and just kind of seeing where it goes is I think, I think part of it is part of the reason we want no asterisks, right? Part of the reason we want everybody at the table um, in whatever way that means, right? I think is because at least in America, white Protestant evangelicals, have had the uh, have done all of the talking for a very long time, right? We've had the spotlight. We've influenced culture in ways and, and all that kind, or at least we thought we have, you know. And I think we've done a lot of preaching and speaking and proclaiming and not very much listening. And you know, I think we have missed so much by not listening to the stories of people who aren't like us, and that could mean. You know, like I said, that could mean some kind of marginalized group like we talked about before. Um, but it might just mean someone we've never talked to, someone we don't know about, someone we haven't been exposed to. Uh, because I, I really think there's a difference also. I just let me back up. I, I really think that that has the potential to uh, really kind of open our minds some and, and expand, like let us see new horizons to, to borrow from, you know, Gautamer, <laughs> you know, kind of see <laughs> our experience and their experience kind of fused together as we learn from each other. But, um, you know, I'd, I'd really like to see uh, where we end, where we listen, not just to, we don't listen to respond, right? We don't listen, it's not like, Sometimes in conversation, I feel like Christians treat it like they listen so they can reload. And then, you know, now that now that the uh, the guns got ammo again, I'm going to keep shooting. Yeah, uh -huh. <laughs> It's like, no, we, we, we need to listen to listen. Or maybe a better way to put it is we should listen to hear, um, you know, or, or we should hear mm -hmm. to listen, however you want to do that. Because I know if you've ever experienced someone who you can tell they're hearing what you're saying, but they're not really listening. Right. <laughs> and yeah. that's, that's not what we want. You know, we want, it might be a conversation, but at the very least it's a conversation about the other people or other person. And that should be the goal for a while. We don't have to bring it back to ourselves. You know, have you ever, have you ever 
been on a date or met someone with someone who only talks about themselves, or every time there's a, a pause in the conversation, they immediately talk about themselves again. Well, uh -huh. nobody likes that, right? I mean, right. it's terrible. And I think, I think that's been a lot of what I've experienced and, you know, what I've seen a lot of. You know, what I thought of was, and you know, there's problems with this metaphor, but I thought of uh, watching a show that you're really invested in or watching a movie. Um, so we have really good practice listening when it comes to consuming. And that's where the problematic part of the metaphor is. But I also thought, you know, not only do we hate those people who talk about themselves on the date, but I don't know about you, but I hate people talking during a movie or talking <laughs> during yeah. whatever. And yeah. I know that's not true for everybody, but it's like, I'm trying to listen to what's on. I wouldn't have it on if I wasn't trying to listen to it. And, you know, I kind of think that's a good metaphor of uh, how we interact with people. I'm trying to tell you my story and what matters to me. I don't really care what you have to say right now. You know, um, right. some other person who's trying to correct that, that story's wrong or that person did whatever. Well, I mean, just, just think about that, right? Someone's telling you their story, whatever that story ends up being, whether it's a long, deep personal narrative or not. And then someone like us intrudes and says, no, that's not your story. That's yeah. like, what? Like, <laughs> fuck you, right? Like, what is it? <laughs> Who are you? And, you know, why should I listen at that point? Or yeah. say, no, that that's actually really bad that you do or think right. or believe that. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> okay, thanks. It's like the person saying, oh, I hate this the worst during movies. Like, oh, that's CGI. That's fake or this better or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like, I get it. I don't care. I'm enjoying the movie. Let me just, you know, shut the fuck up and let's do that. Yeah. Uh, by the way, my wife's not that person. So well, that's good. Of course, yeah. you've got little kids. So, you know. Yeah. That might be where some of this is coming <laughs> Really, it comes from people that I don't watch movies with yeah. anymore because well, it's so annoying. Since we're on a, a very sidetrack tangent for a second, what really drives me up the wall, and my dad will do this, and uh, you know, other people do it, but you'll be watching a movie like, why are they doing that? It's like, I don't know. I haven't seen it before. <laughs> you know? okay, yeah. but why'd they do this? I don't know. Let's watch, and they'll probably tell us. Yeah, unless tell you're us. watching like Tenet, which was a garbage movie. But anyway, um, well, yeah. anyway, there are plenty of garbage movies that don't tell you. But still, it's like uh, I have the same knowledge you do yeah. at this point, folks. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. All right. Back from the tangent. Listening. Listening is a way that community can uh, can happen. Right. Well, and I think, I think listening, like really listening, I think that opens doors to places we haven't been before. I mean, it would have to, right? It's hard to uh, explore somewhere new if you don't know it exists. You know, I'm yeah. trying to think of a good metaphor here. If for some strange reason, no, that doesn't work. Well, it's um, the frontier. The frontier is that Right. Because as you're exploring the frontier, you don't know what you're going to come across. You, right. you could come across something that's very life giving and helpful in your journey. You know, if you're actually on a literal frontier and trying to, you know, explore, or you could bump into something that's really dangerous and you've got to veer course and change things or something that could kill you. Right. Right. I mean, you just don't know. Um, but if you don't, if you don't even, if you don't even know the frontier exists, how are you going to get there? You yeah. Know? If you're still in Boston before, you know, 
in Lewis and Clark days, right? If you're still in Boston and you don't have any maps, you probably don't know much about the West, honestly, much West of St. Louis, right? Not much there as far as you know, but yeah. it turns out there's a lot of there there, but she needed to, to actually go and explore and some very uh, meaningful help from a, uh, you know, <laughs> a woman who with, without whom you would have probably died. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I think that's a huge piece of what it means to be a community is the willingness to explore. I mean, hell, we named the fr the podcast the way that we did right. for a reason. Yeah. And and I not only is it part of what it means to have your personal life that way, but as I just said, it's the community. It's the way that we explore together that um you know, it's really hard. It takes some work. Ryan and I were doing this podcast because we found more fruit talking about this in our community of two than just sitting around thinking about it ourselves. Hmm. And I think part of uh, listening is listening to, yes, the safe and life-giving things, but also the dangerous and uh, perhaps deadly things. So that way, you have the ability or we together as a community have the ability to learn and grow and to sharpen our skills and to appreciate more not not trying to get to this tell us where we uh, are you know putting a stamp on saying yes we now know everything there is to know about this thing or all things but to to not harden ourselves but to prepare ourselves and equip ourselves for a life on the frontier yeah. And I, you know, I wonder what that kind of disposition or, you know, that willingness to explore together would look like. So in some kind of community, whether that's a church or not, uh, like, you know, in terms of my experience of church, what I've always had was some person, um, a pastor gets up there and he or she teaches something and then the community follows that teaching, right? The pastor or the leader of a community is the authority and, you know, it's a very top-down kind of thing. And I don't know that a community wouldn't have any of that, you know, especially some a faith community probably needs some kind of leadership and guidance from a person or persons. But I would love to, to experience one where it felt more like we were exploring together, you know? So instead of you going to this community and finding out, here's the 16 truths that we believe or whatever, you know? Yeah. I mean, there are probably some things that you'd, you'd say we believe this, but I'd love it if for most things it was, well, I don't know, let's talk about our experiences and read the Bible together and explore where we might or might not believe, you know, yeah. um, I kind of see like the leadership's job and whoever that might be, whatever that might consist of, of kind of like guiding that process more than telling you what's at the end. Right. H helping you think through things instead of telling you the answer to things. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Because I mean, any, any pastor that's any good, if they're honest, <laughs> they'll tell you they don't know all the answers they, they say <laughs> they know, right? Or yeah. that's the wrong way to put it. Uh, the good pastors I've had will, will admit when they don't know something. But that doesn't, in terms of my own experience, I've had two that were like that. And I don't know that most of the others were. Um, so yeah, it's it's okay not to know, but more than that, it's like 
it's it's almost like a is it curating that's not quite the right word um facilitating guiding like that kind of idea rather like i'm trying to think of how to fit it into the uh, frontier metaphor because i don't want to say they're leading you on the frontier because i think that's what we have experienced before but maybe it's more letting you explore but also telling you hey don't eat that right it's poison right. yeah <laughs> um or you know you can go either way you want but uh these kind of things will happen along this way and these will happen on this way or whatever i don't know if that works exactly but that idea kind of is- like a ranger like a ranger's job isn't uh you know help groups do all the things that they're going to do. Like yeah. the ranger doesn't care if you're going to set up your camp well, but they do care if you set up your camp near a bear cave. Right. right. The, <laughs> the ranger's job is to maintain the park, right? To yeah. make sure it is available to everyone, to make sure that people are safe within it, like the bear cave, you know, yep. and that kind of stuff. But the ranger does not. Yeah. Like you said, the ranger doesn't instruct on how to set up your tents or, you know, doesn't check your food to make sure you've got enough right. <laughs> or whatever it is. And exactly. I would love to to be, you know, I think I have experienced that some for most of the pastors I've had on a one by one, one to one sense. And it, like, you know, you talk to them about something and, and at least in some, sometimes you'd experience guidance, but in a more of a, like what we're talking about here. But in terms of like, um, in terms of like the community together, with the exception of the last one I had, I I don't think I've experienced that much. And I, I would love to know what that is like. I'd love to try that, whichever end I would be on. I'd love to try it from both ends, honestly. Yeah. You know. Um, but that's kind of what we're talking about is whoever's helping facilitate is also on that same journey with the people. Right. Yeah. yeah. I like that. So part of being a community is to to listen. And we all have to have practice with that, mm-hmm. uh, especially, as you say, in a corporate setting or a corporate together, uh, one-on-one, even pastors can do that really well. Not all, you know, there's still some pastors that don't do that. thing. <laughs> yeah, there's a few. But uh, corporately, we don't have a lot of practice because we follow scripts of what our heritage and other people say we should do. And that's completely unfair, but also completely true in one level. Um, yeah, I also think you, you talked about this and we hit on it, but the listening is also coupled with a learning, right? So we have to, Mm -hmm. for me, one of the things that I would really want to focus on is we listen for the sake of learning and, um, well, let's say first of actually listening and engaging in somebody's story and thoughts and whatever, but also a second to learn from that so that those things impact me, change me, uh, refocus me and work together in the community to do those things too. I, I think a community, really a true community has to be willing to learn as much as it is willing to listen or because, to or, or to teach. Yeah. To teach. I like that better. Um, because, you know, I, I listened to this podcast uh, on the way to church this morning, and somebody was just reflecting on the nation and where we are. And I think it's true for Christians, too. Is like They go to church to—he didn't say it like this. I'm going to say it just to the church. They go to church 
just to listen to what's going on there to judge whether or not it's it's right because they believe that they have the fullness of the truth. Uh, they already know what it is and everything else is what he said, fake news, right? Everything else is not really applicable. And you can take those things they already know and try to apply it in a new way. Uh, I remember one of the first sermons I preached was the parable of the unforgiving servant. And yeah. I told it in a, uh, a boardroom perspective instead of a king, because nobody knows what the hell a king is. Um, well, except so, the British, perhaps. <laughs> but I, I decided to you know, do that. And one of, one of the people who really would resonate uh, against this, uh, what's the right word, would, would fight against a lot of what we're saying here. He came up to me and he said, I knew where that story was going, but I was just so enthralled by it. And I thought, that's great, but what'd you learn from it? Mm -hmm. What'd you learn from it? Did you learn that this actually applies to you? Mm. Did you learn anything else? Or did you just, were you caught up with that it was slightly different from the truth that you've heard over and over and over again? Did you put yourself in the story in in a role, right? Right. Think about what it's like if if in the story I'm the the king or if I'm the one who hasn't paid back the debt or whatever it is. Like if you didn't do that, you're just listening and not really, or hearing, but not really listening or however you want to say that. Well, I would push and say, you might be listening, but again, we could challenge that. You're certainly not listening to learn. You're listening to be entertained, to consume, to to get a fresh spin on an old tale, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, yeah, because learning doesn't just have a knowledge dimension, right? So Nate and I have done a lot of school because we make poor life choices. And, you know, <laughs> we have learned a lot of uh, knowledge. We've learned a lot of facts. We've read too many books, you know, we've probably killed a rainforest with the number of papers we've written in our time. But, you know, it turns out that that's learning, but that's, I mean, that's only one dimension of learning. I can't tell you how much more I've learned in my two to three years of being a chaplain with, uh, you know, in memory care and hospice. I've learned so many things that I never learned or never probably could learn just in my mind. You know, there is a side of learning that is more than just you knowing something. It's actually also you doing something like there's a practical side of learning that we often tend to neglect. Yeah. Yeah. And gosh, is that not true in um, the life of the church? We, I, I, I hate this phrase so much. I hate the phrase that says, I come to church to be fed. I wish that phrase, I can't tell you how much I hate that phrase because we don't think of that as like, or at least the way it's used is not, I came to get fed with life-giving bread, which I would love if that's what it is. But no, it's more the like the image of somebody who's overeaten and is getting yeah. fed just to feel a little better and to hide their pain for a little bit, not really do anything with it, not really like challenge that maybe you're overeating. It's like um, when you stress eat an entire cheesecake. Yeah. 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 Uh, or pizza is what I used to do a lot in seminary and uh, <laughs> doctorate work is stress eat a pizza. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. And it just drives me nuts. 
what what's the purpose of listening just to feel good about something? You can do that with anything. Why do you yeah. have to do that with community life? So I think it has to have that component to it. I think the listening is the openness to hear from people and, uh, you know, encourage and uh, celebrate those stories that are so different than ours, but also how do those stories impact and change us has to be part of what it means to be a community as we organically share those stories and reflect upon them. Right. Yeah. What if it was instead of like, I came to church to be fed. What if it was, I, I think this works. I came to church to feed somebody. Yeah. You know, that's kind yeah. of flipping that on its head in the way that I think has been, you know, I, I, I should say that I think I have met people in probably every church I've been at who, may not articulate these things the way we're saying, but, you know, do some things or have a disposition or say things or whatever that I think do kind of point towards this stuff, right? Nate and I are not, uh, you know, generational luminaries in that we've thought of something that nobody oh, ever has gosh, before. No. Yeah. I mean, Nate might be, but I, I don't, I don't <laughs> think so. Uh, <laughs> but like, yeah, so I've, I, you know, you see this from time to time, but I think Nate is right that the general thing you encounter is I'm here to, I'm here for me. You know, I'm here so that I can eat more food um, without much thought about feeding other people. Yeah. And that wonderfully goes into, I think uh, the last thing that matters to me of a community is that I think it has to be other focused. Mm -hmm. uh, my doctorate, of course, is uh, I say, of course, because Ryan knows, but I don't think a lot of people know is uh, maybe I've mentioned it, but it's a philosopher that has other focused philosophy. That's his whole project is what does it look like to live for other people and radically other people, people that you wouldn't normally ever see. Um, in order for us, I think, to be an authentic community, we need to uh, make sure that we are putting our emphasis on uh, not ourselves, but other people. What What is this doing? This community exists not just for ourselves. I would say not primarily for ourselves, but primarily for other people hmm. who, um, you know, I don't know if need is the right word because that can create a power dynamic that I'm uncomfortable with, but certainly... Uh, in, in our world, people who would benefit greatly from being connected to uh, the body of Christ and Jesus himself uh, as we are, are uh, change makers in this world, um, improving the life of other people. I don't know where I'm going with this. Well, no, I mean, I think what you're saying about the power dynamic is that could happen, right? Like we're not we're not trying to be some kind of toxic charity approach here, you know, where we don't yeah. try to create dependence in others as much as I think it's the acknowledgement of the fact that people need what I have, but I also desperately need what they have. So uh, yeah. instead of a hierarchy, it's more of a, or I should say, instead of a pyramid, it's a circle. I, I don't know what the right way to look at it is, but this idea of like, yes, I need to help others and people need what I have to give them. But what they have to give me is just as important. And what they have to give her is just as important. Like none of these things are more important than the others. I think this metaphor works. It's kind of the idea of like, 
if you need surgery, you need a surgeon. However, if nobody cleaned where they do the surgery, you would die. Right. So, right. I mean, like, in a sense, neither of those things are more important than the other. Right. Because yeah. if you don't have the surgeon, the person cleaning the room isn't going to help you much. If you do have the surgeon and they've done 18 surgeries with no cleaning in it, well, then everyone's going to die. So they're both as important as the other, I think. Yeah. And it's yeah. that kind of dependence that we're that we're talking about. Yeah, the need word, I think, is best highlighted with interdependence rather than dependence, right? Because we we think of things in a duality of being independent and dependent. Well, uh, that duality is a fiction. There is no such thing as independence or dependence, at least in a healthy way. I think you could say those are both certainly true in unhealthy ways, but you know, Genesis 2, 1 and 2 talks about how Adam wasn't complete without Eve, and that's got nothing to do with marriage. It's got everything to do with interdependence, that right. Adam needed Eve, and so Eve needed Adam uh, as they needed the world, you know, around them as they're created in harmony that way. Yeah. And I mean, if you want to link it to what I guess is our favorite uh, verse v- section of verses on this podcast, uh, we only talk about Philippians too, <laughs> but it keeps going back there, right? Of yeah. like others are better than yourself, but you you serve them and treat them that way because when we all do that, we're all lifted up. Yeah, right. Well, I think if we have that element of it that we're other focused, you're absolutely right. You we elevate the whole, because instead of worrying about taking care of my needs, I take care of other people's needs at the same time that they're worried about taking care of mine. And we're all lifted up. We're all like put into this place where there's humility naturally because uh, we're, we're, we're interdependent. So we're depending on each other in really healthy and interesting ways that both challenge us and help us grow and learn. But we also live in the way that I believe we're created to learn or we're we're created to live, which is uh, focused not on ourselves, but on other people. We are so navel focused. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. Like uh, think about all of the crises that are going, I mean, you can think of our national crises right now or crisis right now. How much of that is focused on making sure that I'm taken care of as an American instead of how do we take care of each other as Americans? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a great way to put it. I'd say all of it, by the way. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's that idea of, um, I think maybe, I think something that we all tend to miss, like myself and Nate included, like all of us, I think we tend to miss that when we serve other people in this way, when we are interdependent, like it is good for us and it actually meets our needs to meet the needs of other people. Like, I don't think Jesus tells us to serve others just as some kind of duty or as not even like a, um, not even what's the word I want, not like some kind of ascetic monk practice where they, you know, deny themselves. Uh, yeah, as you know, there's a place for that. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the idea here is that like, not only does it help other people, but it helps us to help other people. Um, and we don't tend to think of it that way because I think sometimes it's a lot harder to see, or we've been trained to, um, 
you know, think of ourselves first and, and our needs. And I mean, there's just something inherently human about that, right? I mean, you think about yourself first in terms of survival. That's been true since humans have been humans. Right. <laughs> um, and if it's true hungry, for animals. Yeah. Put everything aside to find some food. But I think like everything else, Jesus is counterintuitive. Jesus turns things on their head because that's what Jesus does. And that's, I think, the part we've missed. One of the things we've missed. So I think we've kind of, we started with the definition of community and we talked about how it's a welcoming place. It's, uh, you know, to add something we did at the end, it's an interdependent place where we are living life together would be a phrase that I would say often. Uh, and one of the ways that we can do that is we focus on both listening and learning. So the atmosphere, the culture, if you will, of this community would be one in which we're, we're uh, sensitive to the voices of everyone and listening to them and hearing their stories and not just hearing them to then disagree and show where certain things are wrong, which is you know what Christians love to do, but instead to learn from them of how that can change me personally and change our community for the better. Uh, and then we talked about that the way that that can actually happen is having a, a focus on other people rather than ourselves. So we've got kind of three things there. We've got uh, a community that's well, a, a community is welcoming. It listens and it learns and a community focuses on other people. Sounds pretty easy, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, let's do this tomorrow. We got it figured out. Let's just get going. But I think it's really like important to remember that this is in light of the two commitments we make, right? We can only do these if we're committed to diversity and unity, because as you are joking, it's, it's pretty tough to yeah. do these things. But I mean, these kind of things we're talking about are, are the at least initial first steps of difference and unity, right? Like we... This is what we're doing to try and show, not just show our commitment, but actually start to try and live out that commitment in tangible ways. Yeah, absolutely. I want to ask one question that uh, that occurred in my mind to kind of help flesh out this summary in a bit, because I think they're all interrelated. It's hard to say it's one thing and not the other thing. As we even talked, you know, it just kind of naturally flowed there. So I want to ask a question around just one of them, which is that welcoming piece. And you even mentioned this as we were talking. I want to ask, is it possible? Um, and let me be clear. My hope is that it is possible for us to be welcoming because we are committed to difference and that we're actually comfortable with the discomfort of being different. And so are you, are you asking if it's possible to actually be welcoming in that way? Yeah. Is it possible for us to be welcoming in that way? Uh, and typically what we do is we take like the lens of, well, this is how the church, especially the conservative church, hasn't been comfortable with these sorts of people. And, and that's good. We need to do that. Uh, that sounded bad, but you know what I mean? Not these sorts of people, but, you know, different Any differences. But it's, it's harder to do that for myself. Like when I'm thinking about it, would I be welcoming for somebody who is a hardcore 
hardcore American conservative. <laughs> yeah. Like, could I, could I be in the same place? And I'm not going to name political parties or anything. It could be Trump. It could be whatever. But somebody who's a hardcore conservative, because I am bringing myself to that table and I'm still kind of working through all of what I've been taught and what I clung to as a conservative and so forth. So I wonder, like, is it possible? And that's like a vague question because anything's possible, I suppose. But do you know what I'm getting at? Like, what's it look like to actually have a place where I can welcome a uh, a, a hardcore conservative American. And at the same time, that hardcore conservative American can welcome somebody who is, you know, either a Democrat yeah. or if they're a conservative Christian, someone like you, who's gay. It, it, what does that yeah. like? Is that two pie in the sky? Yes and no. And so what I mean by that is, I think if you mean, is it possible to do that perfectly all the time? Yes, that's not possible. Or no, that's not possible, right? I think we're going to mess this up. I think we've been so trained to do this and we've done this our whole lives that it's going to be not just hard. I mean, it's probably going to have some attempts that don't go very well, you know, or we might be able to have this disposition for a while and then we recognize, yeah, but when I look back on it with this group, I did not do this at all yeah. you know, because I felt threatened or whatever it was. Um, so in a sense, it's not possible if by that you mean doing it perfectly or never having to try again. But I do think, I, I want to say it's certainly possible to try and that's already better than what we have been doing, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, right. But more than that, I think, any amount that you do, right, is still going to be helping towards this goal. So, so often I think in our lives we say, yeah, but I can't do that perfectly, so I'm not going to do it, you know. And yet, like I think about in this sense of, you know, you brought this one up, so I think I'll use it as an example. It probably won't shock anyone that listens to this show to find out that I am not a conservative Republican, <laughs> not a Trump fan, right? <laughs> and, and the reason I say that is, is because of my job, I spend a lot of time with people who are. And, you know, it's amazing what people want to talk about when I go see them. And it doesn't usually start here. But just on Friday, I was talking with somebody who lives just in a different world than I do, because like everything they're talking about inside, I'm like, what are you talking about? Right? Like, that's just, quote, not true. Yeah. But I've been learning and probably will be for, I don't know, forever, maybe, is that like, even if someone says things like that, that not just I don't, that not like more than just I don't agree with it, like in some cases, it's it's not good, you know, and yet that person still deserves my ministry, my service as much as anybody else, right? So how that looks is different for different people. In my case, it's working on not writing someone off just because they said something I think is racist or whatever, um, or make some kind of terrible joke about gay people. That's happened, right? And so in my my... My reaction is to not show anything, but to just in my mind, just kind of internally say, oh, well, racist, homophobe, whatever, not worth it. And I've been really 
trying to work on that because, you know, even if somebody does something or says something like that, it doesn't change the fact that I'm still supposed to serve them, you know, and it's been learning how to listen to that and see what else is going on there besides just the words that are being said, you know, is there fear involved or whatever it is. So I guess that's my long winded way of saying, I do think it's possible in that any way you do this, anytime you do this, even if it's not entirely quote successful, it's still getting you towards what we're going for. You know, it's still changing your heart or, um, working on you in a different way that I think, you know, you get better at stuff. I don't think anybody's perfect at anything, but the more you do something, the more you practice, the more you try, the better you get. Huh. I like that a lot because what's running through my mind is perhaps an undertone of what we've been saying. Maybe it's a whole nother commitment. I don't know what it is, but Maybe a commitment to process that we are always in process and recognizing that everyone is in commitment to process uh, or rather that maybe they're not in commitment, but they are always in process. Right. I mean, honestly, I think Yoda's wrong. Okay. It's not, <laughs> it's not do or do not. There is no try. It's try and see what happens. Sorry, right. Yoda. You know, uh, well, at least in this realm. Yeah. I don't know if it needs to be a commitment necessarily, but it certainly is like an undercurrent of a lot of what we're saying is, uh, you know, if we're willing to engage and, and give this a shot, um, then we have to be, I don't know, maybe we don't have to be, then we, then we at least recognize that people are worth the effort and that the effort is worth doing even if it doesn't end where we want it to end. Yeah. But I, I mean, I like the idea of we do need to be committed to process because, you know, if we try to do this and we don't do it day one and give up, well, then we haven't really gotten anywhere, have we? We're just doing the same thing again, spinning our wheels. So um, I think it's a great way to put it is that it's another, we're, there you go, folks. We discovered a whole nother commitment, even though yeah. we're not talking about it. <laughs> But I think it does need to be inherent in all this is that you need to be committed to the process. And sometimes that's painful. Sometimes it's rewarding. Sometimes it's frustrating. Sometimes it's uh, life changing. And sometimes you may not even notice. But the point is, there has to be a process to this. Otherwise, we're just gonna give up before we begin. Yeah. And I think that that like, so I love that. Otherwise, because I think two things could happen. Otherwise, we fall into power dynamics of us versus them once again. Mm -hmm. Or we get discouraged and give up, like you said. Yeah. Because, oh, we didn't do it. you know. And then, of course, the uh, narratives of shame and guilt uh, mm -hmm. that we inherit kind of go into that. Or we you tried know? this and it didn't work. So, you know, yeah. nothing will. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. We've tried nothing and we're all out of ideas now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Story of my life. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. So commitment to uh, process, to uh, being willing to try it out, I think would be another way to say that commitment to willing to try uh, or commitment to trying. Uh, it's a willing to admit we need and use training wheels at first. 
we could call it the anti Yoda commitment. Yeah. I mean, sorry, Yoda, you're awfully cool, especially when you get a lightsaber, but you are just dead wrong on this one. <laughs> yeah. Huh. So while we discovered that commitment to process, uh, and I don't know if we necessarily have to unpack more of that. We can as we go. But I think the focus of what we talked about today was what does community look like? How does that go? And I think the question I raised that brought us to that commitment just highlights that, again, uh, this is not there. There are no easy answers to this kind of stuff. Uh, if there were, of course, we'd all be doing it perfectly. Well, at least those of us who aren't poop heads anyway. <laughs> But yeah, so I'd say poop heads instead of I, you gotta mix it up once in a while. You know, I can't say the same word every time. Yeah. Keep people laughing. Is that I what you're doing? <laughs> so that's what this third step along our processing of this uh, project looks like of, of being on the frontier, being a community on the frontier. Uh, we explored Really, it's one main goal, but three goals underneath that of what it means to be a community. And uh, we really want to explore that more and more as we go. Uh, it's a little different than commitments. It, even as we discovered that commitment to process, we understand that that's a little bit different than the actual goals that we're going forward with, right? Because uh, we can do process all we want, but if <laughs> if that's all it is, then... Uh, we'll endlessly right. be in process with no with no hope of uh, achieving anything. But before we go today, I want to spend some time, or we want to spend some time uh, at the end of each podcast or most podcasts, and just give you a little resource that you can uh, look into. Uh, of course, you're not going to be able to keep up with everything if we're coming out week after week after week with all the things that we have for you to read. But you know, if anything sparked your interest. Uh, today, especially, we're going to wrap in some resources that we have uh, for you to kind of help explore this a little bit more. Yeah, the idea being that these are ones that have helped me or Nate or both of us as we've been exploring this journey of faith that we are and have been on. And so I just thought we could pass some of them along to you that you can look at if you want. And if not, well, you'll miss out. No, but I mean, it's just it, just so you know about them and hopefully they can be helpful to you too. Um, so the one I'm going to bring up today, it's a, it's a book. It's a pretty short one. It's called Learning to Walk in the Dark. It's by Barbara Brown Taylor, who is fantastic. <laughs> She's written a lot of books. She's, uh, I think she is an Episcopal priest. Um, she's also taught in seminaries and universities for a long time. Anyway, this book, uh, Learning to Walk in the Dark, is about how faith very much has always been taught as something like it's bright and sunny, but not just in like you're happy, but like, you know, the light lights our way and we know which way to go and we understand everything and God tells us all this stuff. And, and she talks about how for her, there's been a lot of times where it felt more like she was in the dark than she was in the light. And uh, it's just really, really good. And she makes not only some really interesting points about things you read in scripture, but I just found it very helpful for this sense of how do we live as Christians when we feel like we're walking in the dark, when we don't know what's right, when we don't know what we believe, when all that kind of stuff. So I think if you check that out, you will... I think you'll get something good out of it. 
Yeah, Ryan talks about that book quite often. Um, I honestly haven't read it yet, so I'm going to have to pick that up and read it. Yeah. Um, but I can tell it's impacted his life and changed him. And uh, so I'll, for what that's worth, really, yeah. I encourage you to read that. I hadn't heard much about her. And then I was talking with my pastor about a year and a half ago, and she said, you should check this book out. And then I was like, why have I not been reading this woman? Like, this is fantastic. <laughs> you know. So yeah, check it out. Yeah, my book is one within my heritage. Uh, so Lutherans out there, you might already know this book, but uh, I really recommend it for uh, co- for this conversation of what does community look like. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote a book called Life Together. And Life Together isn't perfect. I think there's some uh, obvious uh, generational things going on here, but it is a really good book to at least help the conversation, right? We're, we're not looking for books that always give us answers. And I know Ryan's book doesn't give answers in the way that we traditionally think about that. Uh, this book doesn't either, or at least it shouldn't be used that way. It should be used as a way for us to begin the conversation of what life together looks like. And this is written specifically during the time where uh Dietrich comes back to Germany when the Nazis are in power and he creates this seminary. And so he really has this uh, us versus them reality (laughs) in in a very political sense, of course, and national sense. But what does it look like to have community in light of that? I think there are some really important lessons of what Dietrich can share with us and what his community learned together, which is huge of what we've been talking about, of what it could look like to have a community of Christ uh, in the midst of, uh, you know, the daily chaos of wor- of our world and life. Yeah, I think these both these ones we've brought up today are very related to what we've been talking about, because it's going to be like walking in the dark, and we're going to have to figure out how to live together in ways that seem pretty tough. So, um, yeah. Hopefully that's helpful to you. And uh, if you uh, if you read that and, you know, want to send us a, some thoughts, feel free. Or if you want to send us any feedback or topics that you'd like us to talk about or, you know, some stories of your own journey and these kinds of things, just uh, give us an email. Give us an email. Send us an email at FrontierFaithPodcast at gmail.com. We'd like to hear from you. You can also go to our new Facebook page. Uh, it's just at Frontier Faith Podcast. You go there. We already have the last two episodes up there. It's very sparse. I really hope it starts to look like it's alive and people are actually paying attention to it. Uh, I just set it up. I've been setting up, but I finally got it finished. Uh, it will link us, link you to our website, which I still have to do a little bit with that, but. Uh, on our website, you can find all of our podcasts. You can find a little bit of a blurb about who Ryan and I are. And uh, one of the neat features that uh, I was able to do is uh, on our homepage, see what our top podcasts are and see what people are uh, like you are interested in, in hearing about and talking about. Uh, but we really want you to join that conversation. Email's always been a little cumbersome. I get it. We appreciate the emails. We also appreciate the uh the Apple podcast um, reviews. So feel free to give us a review. Uh, five stars will do great things. And if that you give a written review, <laughs> uh, and maybe two fifty if you give us a written review. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we're just so grateful that we're doing this together with you, and we hope to be able to engage you more and more as we go on. 
that's what's going on for now. That's our normal pitch. But uh, why don't we end by hearing what we're going to be doing next week? Yeah, so next week we're going to take just a one-week break from this project we've been talking about and just kind of give you some time to maybe think about it more and digest it some and just really kind of, uh, here's a word for you, ruminate on it. Um, So from time to time this season, we're going to, you know, sort of put in a few episodes that are kind of standalone. And so next week, my very good friend, uh, Bobby, is a uh, he's a PhD student in history, and he is almost done. I think he's supposed to defend his dissertation sometime in the next few months. And so we're going to have him on to talk about um, how history and specifically like church history and history in, in general has been an important part of his journey and also why we think that kind of history, church history or history in general is more important than we think for our faith and for these kinds of explorations and frontiers that we're talking about. So this guy knows everything about everything. I think you'll like it. And uh, yeah, I hope yeah. that you'll listen to it. I'm looking forward to it. I I got into a spirited uh, light debate with him when I first met him about Plato, and that was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, it'll. I think it'll be good. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, and I hope that we hope that you join us next time.